Hello and welcome to Legal Aid of West Virginia's podcast, a podcast presented by Legal Aid of West Virginia. I am Clint Adams, Legal Director of Legal Aid of West Virginia, and in this episode, we will be discussing divorce and property settlement. Legal Aid is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All information is current at the time this podcast is published. Our attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia. This information relates only to the law in the state of West Virginia and is provided for informational purposes only. While our host and guest attorneys will be presenting legal information, this does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. I am Clint Adams, and I will be your host. And today I am joined by Lorraine Eckerd, and we're going to talk about divorce. Lorraine, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you at the show. Um, uh, Tell us, uh, what do you do with Legal Aid of West Virginia? I am what's called a VOCA attorney, and what that means is Victims of Crime Act. I supply the legal services for those who qualify for legal aid who are victims of crime. I also can do some divorce work, too, along with um, domestic violence, adoptions, and that sort of thing. So I've been here since April and uh, had a private practice for 36 years prior to that. Wow. So you've been practicing a long time. What was the bulk of your practice in private practice? Well, in the beginning, it was, you know, whatever, whatever you get your hands on, of course. I started out in the prosecutor's office um, part time with a side job of starting a practice. So I was a general practitioner at that time. And what that means is that you, you, you will take any case that comes through the door. After a while, I found myself guided toward family law simply because I have the right personality to uh, negotiate um, with a client through their divorce because it's it's a death. It's a, it's it's a grieving process. And I knew about that because of one of my minors at WU, which was psychology. So um, so I gravitated toward that after about five years. So it's 30 plus years that I have been exclusively a family lawyer. So you talk about that personality and dealing with family law. I mean, in family law cases, this isn't like an insurance transaction or, you know, working with your banker. These are these are very personal and very emotional times. How do you how do you manage clients whenever they're going through that? Well, it's important to be patient and it's important to give them lots of time. I try to you and I talked about this um, a couple of days ago. It's important for them to understand what a support system is. And one of the people in their support system should be legal. One should probably be in the counseling area. And then you need a lot of good friends. <laughs> Absolutely. You need to, to, to call them together and make sure that they can prop you up as, as you're going through this difficult time. Let's talk a little bit uh, more about you, though. Some of the things that you have done, you've been the, you're the president of the Ohio County Bar there in Wheeling. You've also been on the Family Law Committee with the West Virginia State Bar. Um, how long have you been in that capacity? Let me say 20 years with Family Law Committee. And then, um, and, you know, as far as the Ohio State Bar or the Ohio County Bar Association, um, that job is only a one-year job. So that one started about this time last year, and it's ending. <laughs> Sounds great. So, um, so Lorraine, I think it's fair to say the first time you and I met, we got into an argument because that's what we do as attorneys. Um, but <laughs> a nice uh, argument. Exactly. Um, 
But but the one thing that I, that I would like to impress on uh, those of you that are listening is Lorraine is well known and well respected in the legal community, um, not only within the Wheeling area, but also statewide with some of the work that she's done with other people who practice in this area. Um, we talked about you working in the Wheeling community. What are the offices that are served there by our Wheeling office? Oh, boy. <laughs> Just like when you worked in the Clarksburg office, you know that we have multiple counties. So we start with Hancock. We come down the Panhandle, Brook, Ohio County, Marshall County, Wetzel, and Tyler County. So we have six counties. And if I was up in that area, what would be something fun to do? You know, I really like Mountaineer Racetrack up in Hancock. Um, and then you can also go to the Homer Lachlan. I think it's called um, Fiesta Ware Plant and, um, and watch things being made there. It's a, a pottery plant. And then if you come down through New Cumberland, there's a lot of good places to eat in the Weirton area. Keep coming down. You're in, um, you're in Brook now. And at that point, then you could go to Brook Hills Park. It's a it's a play. It's very well known for its plays. And there's um, the inn, the cabin with the inn within, and that is a nice um, place to for lodging. Coming down into Ohio County, uh, you can't you can't not stop at Ogilvy Park, Wheeling Park as well. They're both kind of connected. Wow. And then in Tyler, you just drive through Sistersville. You'll, there's the Wells Inn. There's the beautiful mansions from the oil rich people from the turn of the century. It's it's a beautiful city. Now, we used to drive up there and ride the ferry from Sistersville across to Ohio. Is that something you can still do? You can. Actually, it's been on the news. So, yes, and I was going to mention that, but I thought I'm taking up too much time. So, <laughs> yes, you certainly could ride over to the Ohio side of the Ohio River on the ferry. Uh, a lot of cool things to do in Wheeling and just uh, in the Wheeling area there. And just about every one of them, you see the beautiful Ohio River that West Virginia owns, I like to tell everyone. So, uh, which is a fact. <laughs> but speaking of arguments and dividing up property, that's the kind of things that we might talk about as we're talking about uh, a divorce. So uh, let's nice talk segue. a little. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm a professional at this. Make no mistake about it. Oh, you um, have the voice for it, too. <laughs> well, thank you. I have the face for it as well, but that's a different story. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so when your client comes in and they tell you that they, that they need to get a divorce, what do you think is the most important thing that they should know? Well, if there are children, I would put them first. Um, not all divorces have children that are under the age of 18, but the ones that do, that's where I focus immediately is how are your kids? What are their ages? Um what was your parenting style like during the divorce or during the marriage? And um, are your children, are they good students? I ask what their hobbies are. So I focus on the kids first after the address and phone number and email address. So I would say that's the most important part is to make sure that they are disrupted as much as possible. You mean the children are disrupted as little as possible? Yes. Did I say it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you did. Um, we certainly want to to ensure stability for the children, as this is going to be a difficult thing for the children, as you noted. Um, and in a uh, coming podcast, we'll talk a lot more about custody. Today, we're going to talk about some of the the nuts and bolts as it relates to grounds. Now, when you're going to get divorced, you know, I always heard the old joke that the coffee was grounds for divorce, but I don't think coffee actually meets the West <laughs> Virginia code for the grounds for divorce. What are some reasons you could get divorced in the state of West Virginia? 
Well, before I get into the ones that will hurt everybody's feelings, <laughs> I'll start with um, the grounds for divorce can be irreconcilable differences, but that has to be agreed to by both parties. That means we're not going to talk about fault. You could still get a divorce on the grounds of irreconcilable differences, but when you get to the alimony component of your case, grounds could be important and the grounds for fault could be important, but you can still get your divorce on the basis of no fault. Irreconcilable differences and no fault are kind of the same thing. They're synonyms. So um, what else can you get one for? Well, another no fault ground is separation for an entire year. And that means that you're not residing together and you're not having relations. And that's another ground. Now, I try to start my divorces with those two grounds. You can always amend your pleadings and add all the crap. Um, <laughs> the problem with the other grounds is that they tend to make the parties unable to negotiate fairly. So let's get into some of those grounds. You have adultery, very difficult to prove. You almost have to see it. You can prove it other ways, but circumstantially, but usually um, it, it's, it's difficult to prove. In addition to that ground, you have um, abuse of alcohol or drugs, and that's difficult to prove too because those things don't happen out in public. So you will have trouble with witnesses, and if it's one word against another, you may not have proved your case. You also have physical abuse. Sometimes you can get some good evidence of that if you take your pictures and you get your medical records. People ask me about abandonment all the time. Abandonment really isn't what you think it is. Pretty much that you just disappeared. I mean, you know, if, if somebody knows where you are, that's not really abandonment. That's more like a separation. Did you did you highlight a little bit on cruel and inhumane? Because as you noted, you're working with victims of crime. So there may be something that that, that would relate to that. Um, cruel and inhumane sometimes gets trans transferred into irreconcilable differences in the counties I'm working in. So um, what is cruel and inhumane? Um, once again, people think that that's easy to prove and it's not. Um, a lot of times I'll try to you know, present a case like that. And the judge will just interrupt and say, this sounds like irreconcilable differences to me. So um, you can prove it. It's just very difficult because obviously your spouse is, is not going to say that it was cruel and inhumane. And you're going to say it is. So um, you talked about how some of this may interplay. Um, you know, you talked about the no fault divorce versus the, the fault related divorce, where in essence, you're saying your spouse did something wrong and you're entitled to a divorce. So if none of the fault things, if you don't think you're going to be able to prove those or you don't think you're going to um, be able to get there, th then then you just have to wait a year to get divorced. Do I understand that correctly? Yes. Um, okay. I'm sure when you also practice divorce law, Clint, you probably understand what I'm talking about there. It, I mean, the process could take almost a year. I know they're supposed to get them over with. The judges are required to uh, attempt to get them completed in six months. But um, unfortunately, sometimes it does take a year. And most and people at some point just say, yeah, I'll give you the divorce. I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to wait a year. Let's just get this over with. Right. And the one thing I would say that, that's important if you are going, if you intend to get a divorce and you've decided to get a divorce and you know you're going to have to wait that year to make sure that you don't schedule a date night with your ex, because that's going to restart the clock each time that exactly. you might have, have have gotten together as a husband and wife. That's correct. And it happens a lot. 
Now, we talked a lot about uh, where we have these fault divorces where there require some level of proof. Now, how do you prove this stuff? Can you bring notarized statements? Do you do you have to have some sort of physical evidence, uh, pictures? I mean, how, how do you prove these things? You either have to have pictures or you have to have witnesses. And it's my experience and probably yours as well that you people don't witness this stuff. It doesn't happen in public very often. It's usually behind closed doors. So it ends up being that you can't meet the standard of proof when you're testifying against your spouse because you have to prove a preponderance of the evidence, which means that you have to have an edge. So if the judge believes you and doesn't totally at all believe your spouse, maybe. But that's a maybe. That's a big maybe. Okay, so yes, you do have to have some outside evidence. Pictures are perfect, recordings, um, text messages. We use those constantly in court. Any any kind of written evidence um, is, you know, from the spouse who's at fault is also good for court. But this one word against another thing, I hate to keep saying this, but most judges don't think that you meet the standard of proof, which once again is um, preponderance of the evidence, which means more than 50 percent. As we talk about getting a divorce, I mean, let's say that you and your spouse, for for whatever reason, maybe it's religious reasons, maybe you just don't want to get a divorce. Are there other remedies? Can you live separate and apart? Do you have to get some kind of legal document if you're going to do that? Well, I think you're talking about separate maintenance, Clint. Yes. Okay. And what that is, is um, you, you, um, the audience may have heard it called a legal separation. I think some states might call it that, but in West Virginia, we call it separate maintenance. And what that means is that you pretty much go through everything except the proclamation of divorce. So you're still married, but you split everything up. You've discussed the custody issues. You've come to some conclusions there, child support, spousal support, all of those things go into a separate maintenance, but you're still considered married. And there are good reasons for that. Um, health insurance seems to be a big one right now. Um, you know, if a spouse is saying, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get divorced down the road. You get yourself a job first with health insurance and then we'll get the divorce. Um, that's that's a good reason to stay married in some cases, especially if you're elderly and you don't have any insurance because you didn't work during marriage. It's hard to get a job when you didn't work for 30 years. OK, so that's one good reason for separate maintenance. Also, um, if you're still married, then you will inherit if the other spouse dies. And so a lot of the the clients I've had in the past have said, you know, he's really sick. I don't really want a divorce. I just want to be able to inherit what, you know, I built together with him. Um, So you'll get the other half of the half you didn't get during the divorce upon death. So that's a possibility, too. Lorraine, in a separate maintenance case, can you also get spousal support the same as you can get with a divorce? You can. Yes, you can. So what are some of the factors the court's going to consider when they're deciding whether or not to award spousal support? It seems to be a lot of times the whole divorce will be settled with the exception of spousal support. And the reason for that is, is that there are formulas for every other breakdown of every um, different thing in a divorce. Let me let me explain. Custody and child support is one area of the law that is pretty easy because there's a formula for child support and because there is now a statute that presumes a 50-50 division of parenting time in the custody arena. The second area you look at would be spousal support. 
and spousal support does not have a formula. So we don't have any way to be sure what's the best way to award spousal support. Negotiations can be tough, but some of the factors for spousal support are, of course, take a look at each party's expenses, look at their incomes. What does it take for one spouse to make sure the other spouse is eating properly and can cover their car insurance, their rent, and their debt? That's that's just a you take a look at the income and then you look at the debt. But the problem with that is sometimes there's not enough income to cover the debt. Um, that comes up frequently. You also look at the length of the marriage. For example, um, if you've been married 20 years or more, you could make a good claim for permanent spousal support. You can also make a claim for um, alimony in gross, which is just give me a bunch of big lump sum of money, borrow against the house, give it to me and you're done. Um, that that's called alimony and gross, and it's just a lump sum type alimony. Other issues is did did uh, the other spouse work during the marriage? Does the other spouse have no education? Um, did the other spouse have education but gave it up in order to raise children? And then there's the health issues. Those are those are all over the place. I mean, if you if you are the recipient of spousal support and you're asking for it because you have health issues, that's a tough one because um, hopefully you have some SSD, social security disability, coming in at that point. But if you didn't work, then you're not going to get very much money from SSD. So um, the health one always throws me as either representing the husband or the wife. Or, or the petitioner or the respondent, because we have same-sex marriage in West Virginia. Um, so that's a real that's a real difficult one. Health always throws me off. I end up having to go to trial on those because I can't figure out what to do. So those are some uh, serious issues regarding spousal support. But don't let me forget to mention fault again. Um, if one party is more at fault than the other, then that can be an issue in spousal support as well. Once again, you got a proof problem most of the time, but we can negotiate um, bringing up these fault issues as if we are actually going to try the case. And sometimes that will yield a result. So, Absolutely. And sometimes when, when looking at spousal support, does the court look at the way maybe the property was divided, either by agreement or by the court's order? Good point. Yes. If, for example, a party to the divorce got more than a 50% division of assets, which believe it or not, it does come up. For example, like if a, let's, let's just use uh, the wife is also going to have the children most of the time. And so the husband agrees to give her the house and no strings attached. So she gets more than 50% because the children need a place to live. And even after college, though, that isn't, um, that isn't a factor, but even after college, they want to come back to the family home. So she got more than 50% if she kept the house. That happens. Sometimes people trade off the home for the retirement plan, um, simply because they're usually the two biggest assets. And so if somebody got a little more, then that's a factor in alimony too. Good question. You, you, you talked earlier about uh, you know 50-50 as far as the division of the assets. What I like to tell people too is they're not going to cut the couch in half, right? You might get the couch and the other side might get the love seat, but we're not, we're not going to divide everything 100% down the middle. It's really about finding an equitable division of that property. Um, That's is that correct. correct? That's a very good point. Absolutely. You can't cut 
furniture in half. You can't cut kids in half, but you can say, if you take all this, I can take all this. It's very important to have a pretty good idea what the value of everything is, which involves appraisals. And so that could be important too, before you can actually get to a settlement. When, when the court's dividing the property, they, they have to separate the marital property from the separate property and determine what they're going to divide. What are some things that would be considered separate property that wouldn't be subject to a division by a family court? What separate property is, is anything that you might have inherited. Like if you inherited your home that you both lived in for 20 years, then there's a strong chance that the court is going to award that to the person who, whose relatives gave it to them. So inheritances are separate property. There's, there's a whole nother side Play, or side angle to that too. If it improved in value during the marriage, et cetera, et cetera, that could be considered marital, but the actual property itself could be considered separate. Also, um, any antiques or any furniture that you got from your mom or your dad um, is going to be yours. Any money that you inherited would be yours, as long as you keep it separate from you know, a joint account. And so those are some good examples of separate property. So let's say I inherit uh, $5,000 and I put that in my joint account. How's the court going to treat that? Once again, every situation is different. But if it was put in a joint account, it is sometimes um, interpreted to be a gift to the marriage. So if it's a gift, it lost its separate property classification. Now, you talked a little bit earlier about things like um, retirement accounts, pension accounts, 401ks. How does the court divide those? Well, actually, what you have to do is segregate the amount that's marital. So let's uh, do a hypothetical. Let's say that um, husband worked for 10 years before he got married to his wife. Those 10 years are severed from the division. And those 10 years are his because he earned it without benefit of marriage. So that's considered separate. And then let's say he added 20 more years worth of don donations, uh, 20 more years uh, worth of contributions to his 401k. And then um, they separated for five years and then they got the divorce two years later. Well, everything after the separation, and it has to be a complete separation, everything after that separation would also be his up until the date of divorce. So so they're going to divide that assets. How, how do they how do they figure that out? We have what's called a qualified domestic relations order um, under the ERISA statute, which is a federal statute. Um, and that qualified domestic relations order is different for each company. And so this order is something that's entered after the divorce is granted. So you continue to keep working on the divorce for these. <laughs> and so it will simply say, here's the date of our marriage. Here's the date of our separation. This spouse is entitled to 50% of that portion. Also, we have pensions in West Virginia. That's a complete different animal than a 401k. That's called a defined benefit plan. And that plan, you, you can't get a lump sum out of, out of a defined benefit plan. What you can receive is a portion of the monthly amount received by the employee. So we just write them a little different. They have their own forms most of the time. And we write them so that it identifies what portion of this defined benefit plan or pension the other spouse should receive. The other spouse is called alternate payee. Okay. And so that would be whoever was not working at the plant or 
whatever coal mine. The, the one thing I will say as an attorney is you really need to consult with an attorney when it comes to dealing with qualified domestic relations orders. That That's going to be a difficult and complex area of the law, and that's probably not going to be something that someone could do on their own. Now, there are there are forms for divorce and, and property settlement agreements and the forms that need to be filed. Those are available on the Supreme Court website. And with those, you know, you, you if you have a relatively simple divorce you, you and you're fairly amicable with the other side, you can probably work your way through that. But when it comes to the uh, the qualified domestic relations order, if you're going to have to divide property that way, you're going to want to make sure that you consult with an attorney in that regard. Yes, you're right. Definitely. You can't do those on your own. Half the attorneys probably can't. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we talk difficult documents. <laughs> They are very difficult and, and sometimes complicated and complex, and, and I've muddled my way through a few of them. <laughs> we talk about, so let's say you and your spouse get together and you say, well, you know, here's what we've got. Uh, we, you know, we filed a financial statement. We've looked at those. We all kind of agree about the same things. There's some tools. There's some some uh, jewelry. There's some things like this. And they say, well, you know, the one side's going to get the tools. One side's going to get the jewelry. What, how would you go about making that happen so that the court understands what you've agreed to? You just led me right into what's called a property settlement agreement, Clint. <laughs> Naturally. So, <laughs> it's like you and I are working from the same outline. Oh, yes. We've worked together before, too. So, <laughs> yeah, right. and the same outline sitting right in front of us. Um, <laughs> so a property settlement agreement is a legal document that's presented to the court at the time of divorce or, or even before, if you want to send it to the court early. Um, and that settlement agreement lays out what the party's agreements are concerning division of the assets and the debts. We haven't said anything about the debts yet, but they're included in the division as well. Sometimes um, one party who's working and the other one isn't will take all the debt. Well, they get some credit for that. So, you know, taking on debt and leaving the other spouse debt free has a value. And so you prepare this document. Of course, we have lots of different types of clauses that we use and phrases that we use in the property settlement agreement. Um, for example, let's say you're going to sell your house and it's it's not separate property. It's it's marital property. And you're going to sell it like when the kids graduate from high school. Well, that's down the road. And so because you're going to hold off on selling that, there are certain types of things to protect everybody's rights in the event that the house is sold five years from the date of divorce. So specialty issues, we all share, we attorneys share our language with each other. And, um, and so that's called a property settlement agreement. You both sign it and it's sent to the court. And if the court believes it to be fair and you do too, it's granted. Now, one thing that's prevalent within our society is social media. Everywhere we turn, there's there's various social media things. Do you offer any advice to your clients about uh, social media? <laughs> oh, we all do. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you did too, didn't you, Clint? <laughs> Absolutely. And what is that advice? That social media stuff, you should stay off of it because you're going to end up not even knowing you did it. You're going to end up giving the other side ammunition and its case against you. And so you don't want to be on social media. You should block your spouse. You should block everybody. You shouldn't even get on. 
pick up the phone, call each other. I mean, call your friends and, and complain to them. Don't put it on social media because believe me, before we go to court, we print it all out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's called evidence. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about how, how do you get some evidence? And social media is certainly one thing in today's society that is uh, frequently used as, as evidence um, yes. on both sides. Lorraine, uh, is there any other advice you give to your clients as they're processing their way through a divorce? Yes, I tell them, please, please treat it as a grieving process. You're going to go up and down and all around before you get to where you're accepted. You're, you're at acceptance, which is the, well, it's, it's the grieving process. It's like a death, but um, yeah, just ride the wave and just um, don't engage. Don't, don't respond to any of it. Um, just think, just spend some time to think, go to bed at night because believe me, your brain works a lot of this stuff out. Keep your good friends around and don't call the same one all the time because they get sick of it. Believe me. <laughs> if, if you want to complain about something, make sure you have a couple of friends. Stay off social media. That's pretty huge. Um, be be prepared to to feel a lot of different emotions. You'll be angry. You'll be depressed. Um, it's it's normal. And and so just just relax. Fifty percent of the population gets divorced. Okay, so they all move on, and you're going to too. Doesn't seem like it today. Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing this uh, great information, sharing your knowledge um, with uh, those who are listening. Um, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Not a problem. It was nice to be with you, Clint. Absolutely. If you would like more information on any of the topics that have been presented here today, you can check out our website at LegalAidWV.org. Friends, if you are going through a divorce, this is likely one of the most emotional and trying times of your life. You will be grieving in the process, as Lorraine mentioned. You will likely experience anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and ultimately acceptance. You will be processing feelings of betrayal, disappointment, and hurt. You may process these emotions on a different pace than others, but you will get through this. You need to do it on your own pace and do it on your own schedule. Give yourself time to grieve and time to plan as you move forward. If you've been married for a long time, you likely have mutual friends. They will be taking your lead. You may lose some of your friends during a divorce, but you may develop even closer relationships with other friends. Talk through your feelings with people who genuinely care for you. If you don't have this, consider a religious or spiritual advisor or a professional therapist. You cannot bury these feelings and hope they go away. Try your best to get through the court process and to control your emotions. The court will not want to see an emotional outburst during your hearing. Remember, you will rise from this, and you will be stronger for the adversity that you have faced. Each day will bring a new opportunity. Keep a positive outlook. Find a way to find joy. Take time each day to do at least one thing that makes you happy and ensure your next chapter is your best chapter. Thank you for listening to Legal Aid of West Virginia's podcast, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia. For more information about Legal Aid, contact our website at LegalAidWV.org. To apply for services, you can call our intake line at 866-255-4370.